0: Live from Evanston, Illinois, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by libertarian Bruno Barron, pro-Trump nationalist Jennifer Nevins, Democratic consultant John Pinter from Notre Dame University, Radio reporter Phil Farrar from KOGO Radio in San Diego. Ohio businessman and Republican leader Dave Johnson. Economics reporter Dan Rowan. And food critic of the Chicago Tribune Phil Vittel. Our program tonight coming to you from our own base. At WCGO Radio in beautiful Evanston, Illinois, nice to have you with us. Uh, we've got another full two hours, lots of guests uh, going in a variety of different directions. And as we have been generally doing for the last uh, several weeks, we've got a panel of three people in the first hour. And then we have a, a group of uh, three more panel uh, panelists in the second hour. And also in the second hour tonight, we're going to be talking about probably one of the most difficult businesses in America that is uh, going through uh, you know, great uh, stress at the moment, as we all are. And that's the restaurant business. How do they survive? And we'll talk a little bit about the difficulty of that industry uh, with the Food Critic of the Chicago Tribune. But uh, I want to begin with our guest this evening. We have John Pinter, and he is a consultant uh, in real life, but also is an adjunct professor at uh, Notre Dame University. And we also have Bruno Berend, who is a libertarian, and we have a pro-Trump nationalist. uh, Jennifer Nevins joins us. And uh, I want to begin with poor Joe Biden. He has been shut out of most of the news uh, because of the COVID uh, nineteen uh, virus. But uh, John Pintor, start with you. He, he he got back in the news last week, which I get, I guess was the good news. The bad news was uh, he had to respond to charges made by uh, uh, Tara Reid, a former uh, uh, worker of his in the in the Senate office, uh, charges of uh, uh, of uh, basically sexual, actually rape, digital rape many, many years ago. Uh, how did Joe Biden handle that in his uh, interview uh, with Michael Brzezinski last week, in your opinion?
1: Well, it's probably the worst way to have to uh, reemerge, especially given uh, the circumstances, the COVID virus and all, and, and being uh, shut out. I, I thought in general that he did pretty well with it. It was not a an easy interview by any means. Uh, right. And so I don't know if that was, uh, the intention was to go on, uh, you know, what, would probably be viewed as a more favorable kind of an interview show. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think in general, he, you know, he held himself pretty well. Uh, It's, it's interesting to see the support that's coming uh, around him at this point. And, uh, you know, so I, I think all, all things considered um, he he came out of it. Okay.
0: Jennifer Nevins, is this an issue that's going to be around for a long, long time, or you think the uh, uh, it'll be snuffed out?
2: I think the only people that will be snuffing it out are the media and the DNC who are doing their level best to snuff it out. Trump is not going to let it die. Uh, Trump supporters are not going to let it die. And to be honest, a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters are not going to let this die. Because the grand irony is not only is Bernie once again, not the nominee, when there's kind of some question as to whether he should have been this time around, given especially Biden's slipping mental capacity but now we have someone who is facing very serious allegations of rape. Yeah and- but
0: let me just interject you for a moment. I mean Bernie mm-hmm. Sanders and Joe Biden they had a level playing field this year and uh, the democratic voters spoke and mm-hmm. and they they overwhelmingly after a slow start they overwhelmingly confirmed that they want Joe Biden as their nominee. So how did Bernie uh, get screwed out of yeah. this nomination well- this year?
2: I think that you'd have to ask the Bernie Sanders supporters, including Bernie Sanders' communication director, who came out very upset about uh, the situation, with uh, her feeling that Bernie was once again cheated. Remember, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, everybody dropped out to pave the way for for Biden. And
0: well, someone, someone you- is on the. Mm-hmm. Some would argue that they saw the handwriting on the wall. Let's bring in Bruno Barron. Yeah. Bruno, what's your assessment of uh, of this story, and is this story going to be around for a while? It took it took a while I, to get it going.
3: I can't imagine the story going away. And the, look, what I find fascinating is the juxtaposition of the sheer, abject, crazy hypocrisy of the way the media treated Brett Kavanaugh. Right. And then the complete turnaround, you know, it's like, believe all women, except for the women who accuse Democrats, uh, which we ran into the same thing with Bill Clinton. So, it, you know, it's, again, it'd be nice to have a policy discussion with people on the left and figure out what's the best way to fix COVID problems in the economy and things like that. But at the end of the day, we we see, and this is not to say that Republicans don't have their own levels of hypocrisy on some issues, but the fact of the matter is that the Democrats are just uh, they're they're really making a laughing stock of themselves, saying stuff like "believe all women" and then not even reporting on stuff and saying, "Well, well, Tara Reid is different." Okay, and and we're going to ignore it.
0: John Printer, do you do you, do you agree that uh, in this particular case? Uh, that the the political case here is is one of hypocrisy, not uh, uh, allegations of of rape 27 years ago.
1: That the political case? Yeah,
0: the political case. In other words, what people will say, you know, was he telling the truth? Is he not telling the Mm. truth? But again, before we ever get to that that, that, that day, at least in the court of public opinion, when, you Mm. know, this is going to be a widespread story, uh, you have a situation where, you look at the media and you look at the way that they conducted, uh, looked into this story versus the way they looked into uh, numerous allegations against uh, Brett Kavanaugh.
1: Well, you got to remember the timing uh, with Kavanaugh uh, allegations came up while that was you know moving its way forward in the confirmation yeah. so there was a, a, a shorter timeline that was involved with that as well i think it can be you can look at it and say yeah media does handle uh is is handling this one differently it took a while for it to merge onto the public scene it's now there uh and so it's going to be a matter of trying to figure out really what happened and and none of the um the it's it's going to be he said she said kind of a discussion i think so i, I, I agree that it's not going to go away uh in any short order, but there's a lot of time between now and the election to, Jennifer put, to look more put, into it.
0: Take your Trump hat off, take your MAGA hat off and, and put yeah. your, put your, put your women's hat on, which you wear all the time. How <laughs> do you, how do you look at this story? The the allegations of the women, let, let's forget the media uh, involvement or complicity in, in either killing a story or, or fanning a story. How do you respond to women who make allegations 27, 37, 40 years later?
2: Very cautiously. I think I would be intellectually dishonest to say that I don't have reservations about somebody who comes to the fore 27 years later. I said the same thing about Brett Kavanaugh's accuser. I said the same thing about Anita Hill way back when, but I do believe, I said cautiously, I do believe it needs to be investigated. I think it needs to be investigated just like we would investigate any serious sexual harassment charge?
0: don't you think, uh, Bruno, that during the vetting process to become Vice President of the United States, uh, that those that were doing that job for Barack Obama would have discovered something like this?
3: Uh, probably, if I'm not mistaken, she did there 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 have been some stories, and you know you can it's so hard to trust almost anything in the media these days on almost any issue because it's become so sloppy on uh, all across the spectrum. It, it, I, I think there probably was kind of some kind of an investigation, um, or at least there was some kind of accusation way back when. And, um, you know, so it, it probably was vetted and maybe they just ignored it at the
0: time. We've you got know, a, one of the, one we've of got the got things... A, we, that we've a, add, we got to pause right now and then we'll be back.
4: This message is from the National Council on Aging. Adults over age 60 are at higher risk for the COVID-19 coronavirus because they may have weaker immune systems or chronic health conditions. The Centers for Disease Control recommends older adults avoid crowds and people who are sick. Wash your hands and disinfect surfaces often. Keep a two-week supply of food and medicine on hand. Learn more at ncoa.org. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't
5: think I had more than a couple weeks to live.
6: That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper.
5: I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift.
6: What could you make possible as an organ and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
0: Bruce Dumont back, Mark Perper, and Paul Durer are out there in the uh, listening and watching audience this evening, uh, watching us on Facebook Live. And again, uh, you can find us there, uh, Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont, Facebook Live, and uh, you carry the uh, video portion of our discussion. And uh, today, uh, Rona McDaniel, uh, the head of the uh, RNC, was on uh, one of the Sunday shows, and uh, she made a very strong case, uh, uh, you know, on ABC. Uh, She was uh, on with uh, Martha Raddatz, and she made a very strong case about how uh, the difference in media coverage. And she also talked the fa- about the fact that that Joe Biden has been interviewed 14 times on national television since he announced for uh, the presidency. And in zero of those conversations, other than the one earlier this week uh, uh, with uh, Mika Brzezinski of MSNBC, um, no one asked Joe Biden about this matter, not at all. And so, off the top of my head, I can remember an interview he did with Chuck Todd. I remember an interview he did with Lester Holt. I remember an interview he did with Chris Wallace. Now, those are three of the twenty-four that I remember that uh, the question was never up. So, if you're listening and you can add a few more names to that, you can send me a send me a Facebook post, and uh, we'll add to our list because she made the point she said that anyone that conducted those interviews and never asked they should be they, they shouldn't be considered for hosting a debate because they're already in the tank uh for uh for Joe Biden. Uh John Pinter do you uh do you think there's some complicity is this a good case that the right can make that the national news media rolls over and favors democrats?
1: No. I I don't think that at all. I think that Lots of those groups behind the scenes are trying to figure out what is this allegation about? Um, How did it come about? You you made the point there a moment ago, Jennifer, you know, you got to take these things seriously, but with caution. And uh, I would assume that a legitimate news organization would be checking behind the scenes to see. You know, what, what is this about? And, and, and you got to keep in mind this is all going on with, with COVID coverage and all kinds of other things going on as well. doesn't excuse it. If it's sloppy journalism. Um, I listen to, uh, one, one, I think what, what most of us are looking for now is like, what do we make of this? Uh, you know, is, is there an investigation that can really find out what happened with it? I, I don't know that that exists. If there is something that has been filed, we, we certainly would want to see that. Uh, but I think most of us are looking for what is this really in Joe Biden's makeup? Um, and if so, how have we missed that kind of, um, yeah. you know, how could how could we have missed that all these years? I find it hard to believe myself. But like you said, Jennifer, that it, you do have to be sensitive to it. You have to uh, let these things be investigated. And I, I say investigate it. Uh, By the way, let me just let me just
0: let me just underscore before we go to you, Jennifer, let me just underscore something you said, John, earlier on. And that is uh, uh, Micah Brzezinski, who generally uh, she did a very good job with this interview, I thought. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, I think, you know, uh, I've not said many good things about her or MSNBC in the past, but in this particular case, she decided and I think she's taking a lot of heat for it. But I thought she did a very good job, and I think she embarrassed some or, some of her colleagues within the NBC family. Go ahead, Jennifer, because I want to ask you this question. Who would you believe? Because the New York Times has suggested that there be an independent commission appointed by the DNC right. that would look into this. Who would you right. believe? Who would you believe if they came back and said, Jennifer, there's nothing here? Uh,
2: well, just to, to start off with what you said about the New York Times, yes, they actually said— the, the biggest parody you've ever heard in your life. Yes, we need an independent investigation from the DNC. Yeah. DNC and independent investigation do not go together. Why that was put that way, I have no idea. It's a laughing stock. The, the New York Times ought to have just have been quiet rather than bring that up. It is pathetic. So the idea here that there yeah, is. Yeah, but you wouldn't. Uh, but
0: wait a minute. Let me interrupt. You wouldn't believe an investigation of the New York Times, would you?
2: No, I wouldn't. Because look what they just suggested. They don't want to get to the bottom of it. Mm -hmm. They just suggested that the party that Biden is representing should be the ones to, to judge him. Okay. Okay. Even liberal Axios said that that's just a steaming pile of crap. So no, I cannot believe anything that the New York times said because they made that ridiculous suggestion.
0: Okay. We're going to close off uh, this discussion, but I want to go final word to you, Bruno, um, is there a source, is there a panel that uh, you would say uh, you'd, you'd buy their final investigation?
3: Uh, I, think, uh, I think there's probably some group of uh, people who might be able to dig down. And I, you know, I think what I wanted to say was that, you know, Bruce, I really think it's time to have an investigation, and I think we should have the fox investigate the hen house. Because that's really the most important thing we need to get to the bottom of this right now. Um, Having the DNC investigate anything, as Jennifer says, is completely ridiculous. What I think would, let's put it this way the one point I want to get across here is I am more than willing to give Joe Biden the benefit of the doubt that this is a false accusation. But all I would ask, and this is where I think uh, John is wrong, because I think there is a massive double standard, and I think even Democrats and surveys have, have, have showed this, that there is a massive double standard. And the, the media acted to crucify Kavanaugh with far, far less credible accusations. And now they're running away or hiding from saying or doing anything about Biden, although Micah uh, on, on MSNBC uh, maybe broke that trend and, and she's being mm-hmm. attacked for it. Uh, well, my, my, everyone my final... deserves due process and no one's and, and the only people who get due process are the Democrats Republicans don't get due process once you're accused you're guilty
0: uh, one thing I wanted to just say and then we're going to move on i I think that uh, uh, as I look at this story and I've read uh, I've read a variety of uh, pieces of, of analytical analysis of this uh, one from uh, a former u.s attorney it was in uh, USA today last week. I thought it was a very compelling case that uh, the, the witness here or those the person charging Tara Reid does not really have a level of credibility. And and I would say is I take Joe uh, for at his word. I don't believe Tara Reid's story. I really don't. I don't think it's the character of Joe Biden. However, as a political issue, which I think the president and uh, people on this panel today have already done, I do believe there's a bigger, broader issue, and that's the double standard. I think your case against the national news media of being protective of Democrats is a very strong case, and I understand why they would go there. Because the, 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 memory, in, in the, the memory in the minds of, of many Americans as to what uh, the, the panel and what certainly the media did in the case of uh, 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 Kavanaugh is, is very, very fresh. And, and one person that I would like to hear from, and I don't know whether he's working on it or not, I'd like to hear from Ronan Farrell. I mean, he is the one that really <laughs> broke a lot of stories uh, on this matter. And I would like to see, I, I can't believe he's not working on this case in, in some matter, and I'd like to know a little bit more about it. I'm going to switch gears totally now. And let's go back to uh, uh, the bigger, broader political issue that we're dealing with. And that is the issue of uh, many governors, actually a majority of governors now, uh, basically taking control and deciding what they're going to do for their states. Uh, are you happy with the way this is evolving at the moment with the, the, all the focus coming on, on, on state governors and not on the president of the United States, Bruno? Uh,
3: yeah, I, I am. I, I Look, um I think Trump is, you've know, you you've pointed out quite often that I'm a libertarian conservative guy who's a bit of a Trump skeptic, but I'm not a Trump hater. Um, Donald Trump was simply wrong when he said, I control all this and governors don't. This is, a, this is a governor's position to work on their state. What I do agree with Trump on is that we can start opening certain areas and start doing more to open the economy. And my biggest beef with the progressive governors across this country is that it's all hammer and no scalpel. Um, Rural areas can, you know, first of all, everybody should be more safe. Everybody should be wearing masks and washing their hands and minimizing large groups of contact, you know, large uh, contact with large groups. But we can start opening more and more of America if we stop treating the entire nation like New Orleans and and um, and New York, it's and, and Chicago, it's absolutely nonsense. To I can't launch my boat. Who, who am I going to infect launching my boat? Who am I going to infect playing golf? Playing golf is good for people. Boating is good for people. And all of that stuff here in Illinois is shut down. It's ridiculous.
0: John Pinter to you uh the president wanted the ball for about 24 hours until everybody said Mr. President you can't have the ball you are not in control of this and so he said okay we're going to let the governors decide was when 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 the president woke up and realized that he did not have this power that he 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 wanted was that the biggest political gift to him in the last uh, uh let's say uh, 2 months because now <laughs> if, if people are really PO'd, most people are PO'd at their governor, not at their president.
1: Yeah, well, he does. So I'm in Indiana. Keep in yes, mind, we're, right. we're in a, uh, a state away from Illinois. Uh, I, was in, yeah.
0: I was in your beautiful state yesterday at the Indiana uh, Dunes Federal uh, Beach.
1: Okay. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, the, uh, so, it you know, Indiana is sort of the, the Republican donut, and some of the democratically run um, Midwest states here that, uh-huh. that have said they're going to work together on things. So, um, yeah, I do. To your question, I do think if something goes wrong, there's this great plausible deniability that uh, the the president can say, "Wow, well, you know, I wanted to keep everybody safe. But look what happened. So it, it could go wrong and he can still take credit if everything goes right. So I, I do think there's there are lingering concerns in, in our state, for example, that same sort of pass through of power from the, the governor and our, our governor has done an admirable job he's very rational uh he's been very consultative about it mm-hmm. uh, he's not looking to make a political name i don't believe out of this but but when he says well, we are going to leave it to counties and cities around mm-hmm. the state that part i think is is still in question we yep. we're very concerned about it up here
0: no well i, I think what's happening is that it's uh, everyone is bringing it down to a to a level of government that's closer to the people. Uh, 1-800-723-8029. one 723 I'm Bruce Dumont. Hop on the line and give us a call.
7: Hi, this is Dr. Phil. The new coronavirus called COVID-19 yep. is yep. spreading in China and beyond. While CDC is working to stop the spread of the virus, we can all play a role in stopping this deadly disease. The CDC Foundation is a nonprofit organization supporting emergency response efforts in the United States and around the world. To get updates and learn how to protect friends and loved ones, find out how to help by going to cdcfoundation.org.
6: Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Ironman.
0: Bruce Schumann back in Evanston, Illinois. Ron Ritter and Bill Kelly and Raymond Lopez are out there watching the show this evening and listening to us on America's great radio stations. I want to take a moment now to let each of our guests, and we have uh, three guests. Some of them are new guests to our program. Uh, We're going to take a moment and let them introduce themselves. And we're going to begin with John Pinter. John, tell us a little bit about who you are.
1: Well, good to be with you tonight. Um, I'm a fan of the show, uh, but this is my first time on. I live here in South Bend. Uh, most of what I do is uh, consulting work with nonprofits, with civic organizations, education. I run a small interfaith organization as well, and, and uh, I know you, Bruce, from teach. I, I teach a, uh, in the business school here with nonprofits, and every summer we host, uh, unfortunately not this summer, but a group from Africa and then a group from Latin America who come and do an exchange uh, the Mandela Washington Fellowship and the Young Leaders of the Americas right. Initiative, and so. I've I've discussed
0: that uh, many times on the program. Yeah. And uh, John is the one that puts this group together, gives me an opportunity to to meet uh, you know groups of uh, thirty or more uh, from uh, leaders of the future. I know I've met a lot of met a lot of people who say they want to be the president of their country someday, and I'm sure some of them will. And again, uh, before we introduce our other guests, I, I want to just share quickly a story. Uh, I had asked John to be a guest last week on the program and he had the very best reason why he couldn't do the show of any guest I've ever had. And John, uh, tell, tell everybody what you told me of why you couldn't be on last week. You were preoccupied.
1: Well, I, I, it's, uh, my son, Daniel, my middle child. I have three wonderful kids. Uh, and Danny is, uh, just finished up his, uh, year of fourth year playing football at Ball State and he was eligible for the draft and got drafted by the Indianapolis Colts. So we were in the uh, aftermath of that and uh, was, wasn't in any position to tell you what had happened outside of that last weekend.
0: Well, congratulations. I know I was watching the draft along with everybody else and when that, uh, when that draft came up, uh, I was very happy for you and yeah, the family. Thank so, you. Uh, Bruno Barrett I know no, you don't have a, a, a great story why you can't be on because you generally are been able to be on but tell everybody who you are and how you get here
3: um, I have been gosh Bruce I think I've been on the show on and off for about 15 years now at least um, I uh, I used to be very active in Republican politics I I have kind of like a middling number in the vast right-wing conspiracy membership card um, I'm uh, I'm Relatively, I'm, I'm like, I straddle the line between conservative and libertarian, um, and uh, I've, I've done some political consulting for candidates in Illinois—one uh, for Congress and one for uh, governor in 2010. I've been following politics all my life. I got in my first political argument with my dad when I was eight. Um, <laughs> the win or lose. And I just—I love following this stuff. <laughs> I love America, and I—I like your show a lot. It's wonderful. Thank
0: you. Well, also, we should mention you're a prodigious uh, uh, Facebook uh, user as well. And, again, uh, anyone that follows you uh, gets some great insight into politics. Jennifer uh, Nevins, uh, you're quite active on uh, Facebook as well.
2: Yeah. You've got followers
0: and detractors.
2: Yeah. If you don't have detractors, (laughs) you're not doing it right. Um, (laughs) I am a nationalist conservative. I am your original Trumper. I was a delegate to the 2016 RNC. And I am pretty much pulling my hair out right now with everything that's going on with this shutdown. Um, I am such a believer in limited government. um, And to see what's going on right now and to see what our governor uh, and other governors, what's happening um, and shredding our rights has been really, really difficult for me. So it is kind of a nice outlet. You mentioned Facebook, it's one of my. Outlets, and tonight this show is uh, a little bit of an outlet. And you've given me an outlet on this program for uh, about what four years now. At and, least, at uh, least, it's, it's been well, a nice listen, run. It's,
0: it's all it's, it's great to have you all uh, with us this evening. And again, I want to I want to go back to something because one of the big visuals of this past week uh uh the, the Governor of Michigan uh Jennifer uh, Gretchen uh, Whitmer, she has become sort of the poster child for uh resistance to Donald Trump along with Governor Pritzker here in illinois but again uh, she's she's got more national exposure on it and uh, it has brought out a lot of demonstrators I don't know how many, but it brought them out to uh, the the capitol in in East Lansing and, or Lansing and my question to you is um how many of those people that were protesting her? How many of the, a lot of them look like they were Trump supporters. Is there a connection between the opposition to her and Trump's political campaign?
3: Uh, absolutely. Um, but I was going to say this in response to something John said earlier, and in response to your point about Trump getting lucky that he didn't have the, the power to open everything up and close everything, whatever. Um, you know, Trump is not a policy wonk, and he's not going to be the guy who's going to win a trivial pursuit contest with George Bush and Barack Obama. Um, but he is a bit of a savant in reading a nation, especially this nation. Yeah. And I I realized that the, the night that he won the election, where I thought there was no way he could possibly win the election. And what he did was very Trump-esque, and it was very deft. He made it known what, what he wanted his people to do. And he made it known that he wanted people across the country. It doesn't matter whether it's California or Illinois or a deep red state like, you know, Texas or Tennessee that he wanted people to start agitating for opening the country again. And I think he's played it exceedingly well. Um, All right. I want to get,
0: I want to I, get, I, I agree with everything you said. I want to go back to Jennifer and ask her specifically though, is there a connection? Do you know of a connection between those protesters certainly in Michigan and and the Trump campaign? Because when no, I look at this no, video, I, I see I see some uh, some uh, coordination and, and communication there.
2: I don't know of any formal, I know a couple people in the administration um, as well, and I don't know of any formal ties between the administration and people who are heading up these uh, protests and these rallies, a couple of which I've attended. I have to caution people, though. When people look at protesters and some people get the idea that they're marching to Trump's drum and that they're just listening to what Trump says and what Trump says they're going to do, that's discounting the fact that many of them and many of us cannot pay our bills, that we're, we're looking at our children who are not in school right now, that we have real hardships going on, that we're actually very scared about what's happening in our own personal lives. So I have to say that whether Trump is or is not coordinating this, and I maintain that he's not, I certainly don't know about it. To say that, and a lot of the liberals and progressives have been saying that, and I'm not saying you're alleging this, but a lot of people do, It is discounting the very real pain. The whole idea that it's just um, a a, a Trumper outlet um, is really, to be honest with you, very um, disgusting to me and to thousands and thousands of us who are protesting for our rights.
0: All right. I want to go to John Pinter and get uh, John's uh, chance to weigh in. (laughs)
1: Bruce, you're talking about the people that show up with uh, assault rifles and and come into the, India, or the, excuse me, the Michigan State yes. Legislative Building there. Those are not people that are representing the, my kids aren't in school, I really need to get my job going. I think that's a discredit to that part of the population, which includes most of us who are like, I really would like to get back to normal. I'd like to get my job going again. And you get this fringe element that uh, doesn't represent that side of things very well, in my opinion. It's a small group. Uh, I have no idea. They, they picked me out in about a second that I didn't belong with that group if I were to show up and try mm-hmm. to figure out what's making that group tick. Uh, but I, I I find it hard to believe that they are what you would think of as representing this this m- large group of folks who is looking for leadership and looking for also like I need to get back. my need to get my kids back in school and things like that.
10: But John,
0: let me ask John a follow up. John, would you acknowledge, though, that uh, whether it is the, 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 the demographics of that group or the broader group that may just be frustrated because they do want to get their job back, uh, that, uh, that, this ha- that this is sort of like a prairie fire at the moment. It, it's picking up steam. It's going to other states.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, but I still think that group is likely to be thought of as pretty fringy. Uh, you know, when you show up with masks and, and uh, it, uh, with, with the rifles and all that, I, I don't get what motivates that too much. But, yeah, it's, it's true that most of us would like to get things back to normal. I had a beautiful day here uh, in, in Indiana for the first time in a while. Uh, and it's, it's people, you see that. You get that sense that people would like to get back to normal. But I also hear over and over and over again, I deal a lot with uh, faith leaders, too, or like I'd like to get people back into my congregation, but I don't want people to come and feel unsafe we really don't know. We are looking for smart leadership here, and I think cautious, smart leadership that looks at the data uh, is is what we're after.
0: But putting but putting Democratic governors, uh, because there's been demonstrations uh, against Governor Pritzker here in Illinois, mm-hmm. against Governor uh, Northrop uh, in, in in Virginia. I mean, th- there are there's 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 protesting. Going on in states that are important to Trump's re-election. I mean, I don't think mm. Illinois is important to his re-election, but again, North Carolina, uh, you know, certainly uh, Michigan. These are important states, and uh, mm. you know, they're, they're, they have to be. Uh, uh, they got to be breaking the ground between now and November, which politically sounds like a a, a good thing to do.
1: Yeah. Well, that That's may be a know. parade you want to get out in front of but the parade already started itself. Right. I, I don't, who knows if there's coordination. I don't, Yeah, Jennifer, you said within the administration, I don't can't imagine there'd be coordination, but with the campaign, sure. I'm sure there's people that are listening to it, I have no evidence of that. Is I, the, I don't hang with that crowd.
0: Is the divide this year, uh, Bruno, between the science crowd and those that don't think much of science? Is it that simple?
2: No,
3: it's not that simple, and and I think that this whole thing that like everyone who wants to uh, um, open up the country is scientifically addled and and stupid, and all the scientists, uh, all the smart people wa- want to lock down until Fauci and Bill Gates give us a vaccine. This is nonsense. Um, I follow this stuff very very closely. Uh, I'm not going to brag about my education or my IQ, but I have more than a few brain cells to rub together. And the idea that only the left understands science um, is, is it, it's frankly horribly insulting. The science says that social distancing and great care in not getting spreading a virus and
0: setting aside the elderly and the at-risk works and the lockdown Okay, we've got a break back shortly from Evanston
10: Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain Pain can be unrelenting overwhelming and all-consuming So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases but they just mask the pain and reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Bruce Dumont
0: back on Beyond the Beltway. Adam Smith is listening tonight. He writes, every red state that reopens has had a big splurge in cases. Uh, So I'll be the cynic. Let them. If more Republicans get sick and die in the name of shopping rights... They'll help us win the election on November day, on, on, on election day. So there's also uh, uh, Mark Royalty joins us. Governor Pritzker should allow downstate mayors and city officials to to declare when to reopen instead of a one size fits all and I think uh, if you watch the uh, the Pritzker press conferences every day as I do and again this is in Illinois but again I think we see uh, Pritzker getting uh, some uh, incoming including from the media in recent days and uh, uh, he's having a little more he's having a much tougher time this past week than he has in previous week of sort of defending everything that he wants to do and he appears to be sort of uh, caving in on some matters let's go to line 1 where Dave is listening to us in the great state of Washington. Go ahead, Dave, you're on the air.
9: All right, hey, guys. Uh, My point is that I just get frustrated by not only the, I guess, quote, mainstream media, but just the way that uh, them and now online, like YouTube, sources, they all seem to be so divisive for the country, whether it's, you know, gun rights, racial relations, or this COVID-19. And the way they're doing it right now is that pretty much the only place you can go to find anything that's not you know, the sky is falling, this is the black plague, watch out for this, Mm -hmm. is Fox News. And even they were early on quite a bit more towards the, this is so serious, we all have to be scared. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're kind of slowly coming around. But one of the things that disturbs me is that, like YouTube, for example, I posted, or I, I didn't post it, I shared a video that was from two California ER doctors who did about an hour-long press conference, and it was all about what they're seeing on the front lines. Mm-hmm. And they were describing how, from their point of view and what they were seeing, this is not you know, the Black Plague, far from it. They were, they were minimizing to some people the, the amount of, I guess, craziness that we should be doing with regard to shutting entire economies down mm-hmm. versus more of a targeted isolation type of a method. And they got taken off of YouTube. I mean, I went back and checked my YouTube uh, video a day later to look at it, And it had been taken down. It said that it violated YouTube's terms of service. And I thought to myself, does that mean YouTube's terms of service? If if you're not complying with the overall narrative, that you get taken down, even if you're two ER doctors that are on the front line? Uh I mean, Dr. Scott Atlas also has a good article out on TheHill.com. And he talks about open up the economies now. They, yeah. they referenced in New York, you know, one of our epicenters, where when you looked at the people there, 92% of the deaths out of 8,000 de- deaths that they studied had comorbidity issues. And mm-hmm. b- between 18 and 45 years old, they found the death rate as low as 0.01%. Well, mm-hmm. the flu death rate is 0.1%. And so 0.01 is one-tenth of that. Now, granted... This is age specific. So the flu in general, when you say point 0.1%, that's across all age spectrums. If you isolated that down to 18 to 45, it would also be very similar, probably to 0.01, Like mm-hmm. this is what they found with COVID. So, right. I mean, it just it disturbs me that you can't get the other side of the, of the equation of the equation from all these sources. And that's why when you see at these rallies, it's primarily, yes, it is Trump supporters and mainly conservatives, because they're the only ones that are not getting the you know the sky is falling from CNN and MSNBC so i mean from my perspective i think the media is causing more of a division they're making it harder for these governors to open up and then they're they're pushing us well right they clearly left. i mean
0: they they're, clearly they they clearly in this debate between the federal government and the scientists and and the state government and, and, and the, uh, the decision to make a make a decision based on, on the economy. Uh, clearly the national media is they're cheerleading for one side over the other. They're not cheerleading, uh, for, uh, for, uh, they're cheerleading for the scientists, but they're not cheerleading for the governors. My, I, stay on the line because I want to yeah. ask you a question, but I want to ask John printer. We'll go back to him for a question as well. John, in, 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 this matter, when, you know, when, when so much of the discussion has been about the death toll and the number of cases. There's a lot of people who have survived COVID-19. We don't seem to see many stories about those that have survived from uh, COVID-19, unless it's a story about uh, you know encyclovir or 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 some of these you know wonder drugs, uh, hydrochloroquine. But you don't hear you don't hear a commensurate amount of of good news about people that get it and 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 save it. Is that? would you agree with that or or do you not
1: be a a radio listener versus a you know a a tv or or cable news Uh, but I've I've heard lots of stories about people's recovery how hard it was uh, what they learned about it and um, you know I I did some before we got on I I took a look so none of us here are scientists or epidemiologists or whatever but I looked up our numbers uh, for the state of Indiana and we have not been hit as hard as a lot of places, but we've had over 20,000 cases identified, over 1,100 deaths, mm-hmm. um, and so the, the, that that's not an insignificant number of folks. So I think we're just saying, well, yeah, 98% of the people or plus survive, so therefore we shouldn't worry about it. I, I'm not sure that's an answer that. Uh, that meets this really, we've seen this thing take off and we've seen how quickly it can spread. And I, I think underplaying that is, uh, is a mistake, but
0: how many, how many live you mentioned 1100 deaths in Indiana, mm-hmm.
7: how three many, yesterday.
0: okay. How, how many families will be ruined lives ruined if people are out of work for Thank two, you. three or four months, Yeah, I, I don't. how know. will their life, it, mm-hmm. it will be a lot more than 1100, I think. Does everybody agree with that? Or do you want to challenge well, me
2: on you know, that? You know, Bruce, I want to talk about that for just a second. You know, during the Great Depression, 24,000 recorded suicides during the Great Depression. And that's mm-hmm. just the ones that we can directly attribute, that they, you know, that they have on record, that they can mm-hmm. attribute to the financial um, downfall. Right. The psychic toll that this is going to take on people who are literally losing their shirts, losing their life's work. Uh, my brother is in a situation where that may happen to right. him. It is going to be, and has potential to be epic, but we're not hearing about that at all. Right. And you know, and Jennifer,
0: on that Jennifer, is a- not, Jennifer on that note, I, I, I've got to cut you off because we're at the end of hour number sure. one. Jennifer Nevins has been our pro-Trump nationalist who's joined us this evening. Uh, our Democrat is John Pinter. He's a consultant, also a, a teaches at the Notre Dame University. And Bruno Barron has been our man in the center, our libertarian. Thank you all for being with us in hour number one. We'll be back with another full panel. We'll be checking into the great state of Ohio, Maryland, and the great state of California for our discussion in the second hour, along uh, with a look at the restaurant industry and how they survive with food critic of the Chicago Tribune, Bill Vitel. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. Clear? Yeah.
6: Yep. What is hope? Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back.
9: I wish she'd stop drinking so much. She thinks it's helping, but it's not. I hope she sees that soon.
4: I act like I don't care if he comes to my games,
10: but I hope he does. I used to hope he'd find happiness again. Now I hope our marriage makes it.
4: I hope Grandpa will get help. He thinks it's too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. I just want my brother back. I
9: hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride.
11: Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours, that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling, we have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com.
1: My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family.
3: America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives.
12: I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home.
3: At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned.
12: I'm a veteran, and my victory
11: was finishing my education.
3: DAV offers veterans of all generations a
0: lifetime of support. For victories great and small. My victory was proving that disability is not a limitation.
10: My victory was getting my service dog and new best friend. We
3: help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges.
1: My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all
3: win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org.
4: Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership.
0: Bruce Dumont back in our number two of Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much for joining us from coast to coast and border to border. 1-800-723-8029 is the phone number if you want to give us a call. Uh, we have on the line with us now uh, from the great state of Ohio, we have uh, Dave Johnson. Dave from Columbiana County. Dave, nice to have you with us.
12: Thank you Bruce, great to be back with you.
0: And we also have Dan Rowan and he joins us from the great state of Maryland. He is a transportation uh, a writer for Transport News and also uh, hosts a program on POTUS 146. Uh, Dan, nice to have you with us this evening. Bruce.
13: Good to be with you guys as well. Thanks for having okay. me. Okay,
0: I don't know whether we have Phil Ferraro with us or not. We do. Phil, are you there? Good
13: here, Bruce, good to
8: see you. Good to meet. Well,
0: good okay. To meet.
8: Not see you, but actually
0: hear you. Okay, well, Phil is going to join us via phone this evening, and he's a veteran radio reporter for KOGO in San Diego. And uh, Phil, I'm going to uh, talk to you in in just a few moments, but but do stay on the line because I want to talk about sort of uh, some of the other business related things. Now, uh, Dave, in, in in your particular case, you you are the CEO of a company that's been around for 108 years. You make tiles, uh, Summit Summitville tiles in in Ohio. How has this uh, pandemic affected your business?
12: Well, you know, I I must say that we were very fortunate in coming into the new year. Summitville had the largest backlog of new orders that we've had in probably 25 years, owing to just the strength of the economy. And so we're starting out in January thinking this is going to be a great year. I actually fired up another kill hired another 25 people to work at at the company and uh, then this virus this pandemic hits and of course uh because of the nature of the work that we do a lot of federal contracts one of the contracts i have right now for example is the washington dc subway system which Mm -hmm. is being hundreds of millions of dollars are being spent and my product is the last product to, to go into that completion of that project so there's a, a number of those types of businesses that um, the governor of Ohio designated companies like ours to be essential. So mm-hmm. I've been very fortunate that we've been able to work, uh, haven't really missed a lick. Um, of course, we've had to abide by uh, all the new standards, uh, CDC standards, which the governor has made a part of his order and and wisely so. Uh, so I, I think um, – up to this point in time, I, I will say this, Bruce. What concerns me is that just about a week after this thing hit, new orders into our company are down by say fifty percent. Mm-hmm. So I'm concerned about thir- third and fourth quarter of the year. Uh, it's a, it's it's just a tough, darn tough economy. Mm-hmm.
0: Dan, uh, Ronan, when we had you on uh, several, actually a couple of months ago now, uh, you gave us one of the first reports as to how the logistics and the transport industry uh, was likely uh, to be affected uh, by by the by the
13: virus. Uh, how is it doing now? Well, it was doing okay, Bruce. And uh, the economists and the others that I talked to say that we had a real surge in the end of March and then April as all the stores restocked. But a couple of things happened here. One is that we're not driving. So the tanker industry has completely bottomed out, the trucking and the tanker industry. The flatbed industry is not doing particularly well. The, long, the over-the-road guys who drive the produce, things like that, refrigerated, it's going pretty well. But we're starting to see a drop in the trucking industry, a drop in logistics. And I think that you know if we see a GDP drop of 30% in the second quarter, like all the economists are starting to say, well, that means there's going to be 30% less freight. So I think the initial surge is over. As one economist told me, you can go out and buy 50 cans of Progresso soup, but eventually you have to eat the soup. And we're sort of at the the stay-at-home, the stay-in-place, stay-at-home orders. We're kind of in the stage now where we're eating the 50 cans of soup, Mm -hmm. and we're not going back to the store as much, maybe to buy bananas and apples and oranges. But we've slowed it down a little bit, and it seems as though that this recession that we're in is starting to hit the trucking industry and the freight industry. And construction and things like that. Now, at the national level, uh, the governor
0: of Ohio, Governor DeWine, and the governor of, of Maryland, uh, Governor Hogan, both Republicans, um, they have received very good uh, marks uh, from uh, the national media uh, for the way they've handled their, uh, you know, their, their respective states. How are the how are the locals feeling? Are they? Are they as supportive of uh, your governors as some in the media have suggested? We'll start with you, Dan.
13: I think so. And, you know, I I live not far from Annapolis. I'm about 15 miles from there. And I think that Hogan is, you know, really threading the needle of being a Republican governor in a Democratic state. He's very visible. He's uh, out there a lot meeting with people, talking with them. The one thing about Hogan, and I think this is the same thing that Dave could say with uh, DeWine in Ohio, is that they've been very, you know, willing to listen to people and hear people out and listen to their complaints. And I think that's been the biggest thing. I think that, you know, Maryland's legislature, both the House and the Senate are democratically controlled. And uh, I think Hogan's been good about, you know, bringing the speaker and bringing the Senate majority leader and bringing their teams in to say, listen, we have a big problem on our hands here. Plus it also hasn't hurt him with his wife's connection with South Korea. You know, they brought Mm -hmm. the hundreds of thousands of uh, PPEs back in from South Korea
9: mm-hmm. and
13: uh, brought him into BWI Airport a couple of weeks ago. So I think that's been something too that has has earned him a lot of points with his people in the state.
0: Now, uh, Dave, I want to go to you because you mentioned that uh, at the moment uh, uh, you're you're doing okay. You you've been open. You've got a lot a lot of orders, even though the future orders are are down. How many people within your, um, I want to just say sphere of awareness, which is, you know, you've been there for many, many years. So, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people in the, in the, in the world of business, how many of them at this moment already do you feel have, have passed over a line and they are likely never to get back to any degree of business success?
12: I think that's the the concern that we have, Bruce uh there are most companies are not in the shape that, that i'm in that's not kind of an unusual situation mm-hmm. i i'm a current member of the ohio manufacturing association board of directors so i'm i'm at a table with business leaders from around the state and uh, people are concerned especially the smaller to mid-sized companies which are really the backbone of our economy uh, folks are really concerned about what the long term is They're, no one in business likes uncertainty and it just looks like this thing could just keep hanging around until frankly, we get a vi- a vaccination for it. Mm-hmm. If we get one, uh, wow. there's no guarantee that that there'll be a vaccine for this. Dan, same question to you
0: within with the people that, you know, the businesses that were you used to be a, let's say a regular customer that maybe have been shuttered for the last month and a half. Um, uh, how many do you know are likely never ever to come back?
13: Probably most of them a good fair, a fair amount of them. I mean there's a lot of restaurants Bruce that uh, I go to not far from my office but I haven't been to my office now in six weeks I mean you take the 40 or 50 of us just in transport topics who mm-hmm. go to the restaurant you know for takeout a couple times a week there's you know 900 a thousand people in our building. Mm-hmm. And there's those restaurants. are. I mean, a lot. it's clear that a lot of people are really afraid. They're, they're scared. They're frightened. They've worked all their lives to build up a business. And uh, now it's jeopardized by something they can't see. So I get why people are, are, are concerned and nervous about this. Clearly, uh, this is, you know, it's unlike anything that's ever happened before in our lifetimes. When we
0: come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what's happening in California. A lot of people out in California are getting pretty antsy, taken to the streets or at least taken to the beach. Back shortly.
4: This message is from the National Council on Aging. Adults over age 60 are at higher risk for the COVID-19 coronavirus because they may have weaker immune systems or chronic health conditions. The Centers for Disease Control recommends older adults avoid crowds and people who are sick. Wash your hands and disinfect surfaces often. Keep a two-week supply of food and medicine on hand. Learn more at ncoa.org. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't
5: think I had more than a couple weeks to live.
6: That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper.
5: I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an
6: incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ eye and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
0: Bruce Dumont back. We continue with Beyond the Beltway, and uh, we are now uh, joined by uh, uh, Phil Ferrar. He's a veteran radio reporter for KOGO in San Diego. Phil, nice to have you with us. And uh, I, I want to begin by talking about what can you do, what's open and what's closed in, in, in California uh, these days.
8: Uh, we do have some beaches open along California's coastal line. But they come with restrictions. For example, here in San Diego, you can go to the beach. You can swim. You can surf. You can boogie board. You can canoe. You can kayak. You can even fish. But you have to keep that watercraft moving. No motorized watercraft, I should say. The parking lot, they are closed. So if you really want to go to the beach, you have to make an effort. The boardwalks, they are closed. We have a couple of piers. People like to fish off of those piers. They are closed as well. We did reopen up golf courses. Not, once again, not all of the beaches are open. Uh, the city of Carlsbad, which is just north of us, where uh, mm-hmm. people may have heard of Legoland, that sure. beach in particular will open tomorrow.
0: And how many people are wearing masks? What's, what does the mask dictate in California?
8: Well, here in San Diego County, it is mandatory. As of May 1, it is mandatory right. if you come within six feet of someone you do not know who is a fam- who is not a family member, mm-hmm. you need to wear that mask. Other counties have already done that. If you go to a grocery store, you need to wear a mask. Some grocery stores are handing out uh, the cloth masks if you want to go and shop as well.
0: Now, the, the stories that are being carried, at least by the national news media, uh, is that everybody, or not everybody, but large numbers of people in, in, in Orange County are really ticked off. They want to get to the beach. Let, let's go beyond those that are angry about being prohibited from going to the beach. How widespread in, in your sector of California are, are people wanting to open their businesses and get back to work? And they're, they're worried about the economic impact as to whether their families will survive or not. How, 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 uh, how vibrant is, is that call uh, against uh, the governor of your state?
8: Well, people want to go back to work. There is no no, no doubt about it. They want to go back. They held a huge, huge protest uh, this past Friday in downtown San Diego, and um, I was there, and there were a lot of people, and they literally said that Governor Gavin Newsom has to go. They said, we cannot handle this anymore. Some people said if they don't go back to work, they will become homeless. This is what Newsom had to say, though. We're getting very close to making really meaningful uh, augmentations to that stay-at-home order. You know, he we said weeks, uh, not months, uh, about four or five days ago. Uh, I want to say many days, not weeks. You, you didn't know we were going to have sound, yeah. Bruce Dumont, but that's right. exactly that's, what that's the right. governor said. People today, what they were doing at the beaches here in San Diego, you cannot gather. You cannot stop. You cannot lay on the beach, but what we saw today were people with signs out on the beach, going up and down, exercising their free speech. We want to go back to work. Governor Newsom, this is tyrannical. We are sick and tired of this. Governor Newsom, I don't want to be homeless. They're talking about COVID-19 as a hoax. These are some of the people that we are seeing that are out at the beach right. today.
0: Well, we've talked about some of the demonstrations, you know, are, are, you know, back east in 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 Michigan and and, and Illinois. Um, at this moment in time, is there a is there a possibility of, of a of a greater rebellion against government authority here? And and you know, if, if we get together in a, in a month from now, I mean, uh, is the governor going to have to bring out the national guard to quell some of this uh, uh, unrest in in California?
8: We thought it might happen this weekend in uh, Orange County because they had eighty thousand people at the beach last week, wow. uh, last Sunday, as you as you quite well know. Yeah. And uh, from what we understand, not many people showed up at, at that beach today, and it, it is closed uh, per the governor's orders. But if something doesn't happen by the end of this month, we are going to be in a world of hurt. Uh, as you know, California is the fifth largest economy in the world. We, are, we have surpassed the United Kingdom. That's how big this is. And the governor came out a month ago and says, we're in a recession. We are in a recession. So if something doesn't happen very soon, if it doesn't happen by the end of this month, we will be in a world of hurt. But once again, he continues to stress these stay-at-home orders. We have Every night uh, we hear, I'm I'm at the office right now, and we hear on the police scanners where people 30, 40, 50 are gathering, and people cannot gather because you know, in 14 days, we don't know what's going to happen. We saw
0: well, we, had, we, we happen. had a situation in Chicago. We're under a, a stay-down order, stay-at-home order, and uh, the mayor of the city of Chicago last night, when she heard reports from the police that there were large parties in certain sectors of Chicago, she was livid. She was on television. I mean, she, she did everything about but say that they're going to send in the police and the National Guard to shut these parties down. But she was livid. And I want to go back to you, Dave, and, and hear from the other, other coast here. Uh, You didn't know you were on the coast, Dave, (laughs) but let me ask you this question. How, how the anger, uh, how much anger is there in Ohio? Because again, the popular perception is that your governor has got his hand on the, on the pulse and everybody seems to be getting along there.
12: Well, let me say that the governor moved very quickly in shutting down the state. and, And I think he had broad support. From the Republicans and Democrats, and just about from every corner, uh, opening the state back up is is going to be a, a, a more slow and a more measured process. And we are starting to get uh, protests at the state capitol. and there's talk of the legislature now perhaps stripping some authority away from the uh, health director of our of the state. Um, so there there are rumblings, and and uh, the governor is going to have <laughs> have a little bit of a time. Uh, grappling with this. But but I'll say this about Governor DeWine. He's a very, probably one of the most principled political leaders we've had in Ohio in and, and probably the 30 years I've been involved. Mm-hmm. He listens. He's got task forces together. He's he's going to open the state up, but it's going to be measured and it's mm-hmm. going to be somewhat slower than maybe some want it to be. Uh,
0: Dan, uh, to you, well, we talked about this uh, in the last hour, and that is has has the President pulled off a master stroke here by by backing away from uh, wanting to take charge of all this and by basically sending it out to fifty governors so that the ire of the public may be maybe more directed to governors, both Democrat and Republican? And he sort of you know, flies above it
13: well, the funny thing about that, Bruce, is that the video dose doesn't lie because just a couple days before that the President was saying, I'm in control, almost like Al Haig on that day yeah. when President Reagan was shot. I'm in complete control, and then a couple of days later, he says, "Well, I'm not in control. It's up to the governors." Yeah. You know, to Phil's point, and this is something that I was thinking but it would about be, this but, but it would be it,
0: that's a that's a better uh, flip of the story than had it been the other way, and he would taken the yeah. power away from the governors.
13: Well, that, that's very true. He, then then he would have looked yeah. like some sort of a some sort of a dictator. Yeah. But to Phil's point about the protesters, I was running some numbers this afternoon. 68,000 people have died of COVID, that's 68,000 premature lives. That's the equivalent of almost 500 737s crashing since March 11, or about 10 airplanes a day. The question I would ask then to any one of these people who's protesting, if we were losing 10 airplanes a day, would you get on an airplane? Would you be willing to take that risk that you might be one of those, you know, one of those unfortunate airplanes that goes into the ground? That's what we're looking at. And I understand that I cover economics and business. These people are terrified of losing their businesses, their homes, their livelihoods, jobs in businesses like Dave has set up for, you know, the last 50, 60 years, family owned businesses that have done really well and put money and food and sent the kids to college. I get on, I get that. But the problem is, is that we don't have a vaccine. We're working on stuff that, you know, will mitigate it. And they've had some progress on that. But we're not we're in this no man's land. And we're starting to see the deaths maybe start to tail off just a little bit. It it seems, you know, like we're sort of out on the, the deep end of the pool here. There's not a lifeguard in the pool right now. That's just right. sort of the way I'm thinking of it. But, you know, yep. I understand the concern of yep. Dave and what Phil's hearing on the street. Sure. They want to get back to work because right. these are tough times. And Next Friday when the unemployment numbers come out, we're going to see numbers that are, quite honestly, they're going to be staggering. Right. We're going to be right. close to 17 18 percent unemployment and these dave, are going to be numbers that we've not seen in our lifetime dave i want to come back because you
0: mentioned that from your 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 the, the summitville tile part of your uh career and and life is it seems to be doing okay in, in COVID 19 but you're also uh you're a great restaurateur and in the next segment we're going to be talking about the impact on restaurants you own the spread eagle inn which is one of the most delightful restaurants i've ever i've ever been at it's was voted the the best uh, Restaurant in Ohio, in small town Ohio. Uh, how is that doing? Is that still open, or are you closed?
12: No, we are closed, and uh, we were shut down. That was the first thing that the governor did was shut restaurants down and bars. And so, uh, yeah, that's that's a problem. And one of the problems out there is that the stimulus money, that's the PPP payroll protection plan yeah. through through the SBA. That money is is based on your payroll. And, and 25% on, on overhead expenses. But there's a time limit, and it kicks in. As soon as you get that money, you have eight weeks with which to use that those funds. And so if it, in Ohio, if we're closed for the next month, yeah. that's going to be half of that stimulus money that small restaurants like mine could have used. That money will be out the window. Yeah. So I've been trying to impress upon the governor and, and leaders in Ohio to at least be mindful of that. We think we could open our restaurant up and we think we could be at like 50% capacity and we have enough rooms where we could distance people And we could, there's a lot of things we can do to mitigate. Yep. Well, what
0: you're you're trying to juggle there is happening all over the country and in in a, in a very difficult industry, even on a good day, it's a tough industry to survive in. We're going to talk about that in the next segment with Phil Vettel, the food editor of the Chicago Tribune. But I want to thank Dave Johnson for joining us from Ohio and Dan Roan. Thanks very much for joining us from Maryland and also Phil Farrar from San Diego, California. I'm Bruce Dumont back shortly from
7: Evanston, Illinois. This is Dr. Phil. The new coronavirus called COVID-19 is spreading in China and beyond. While CDC is working to stop the spread of the virus, we can all play a role in stopping this deadly disease. The CDC Foundation is a nonprofit organization supporting emergency response efforts in the United States and around the world. To get updates and learn how to protect friends and loved ones, find out how to help by going to cdcfoundation.org.
0: Rustamant back in Evanston, Illinois. Thank you very much for joining us tonight on Beyond the Beltway. Whether you're listening on radio or watching us on uh, Facebook or wherever you're listening, again we're not on—we're uh, not live tonight on uh, YouTube. We're having some problems uh, with our live feed to YouTube. So again, uh, you're there, but I think you're watching. Uh, la- if you—if you do, you'll—you'll uh, you'll see last week's program, which was uh, worth watching, but not as worth as what you're going to watch right now. Phil Vittel joins us now. He is the longtime food critic of the Chicago Tribune. And Phil, nice to have you with us. I've been reading you for years. I know we're Facebook friends. It's it's great to have you uh, talk about something that you'd love to talk about.
5: It's an honor. Uh,
0: the question I want to begin with, uh, w- within your sphere of influence, the, 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 the restaurateurs that you deal with on a daily basis, how fearful are they that they may never be able to come back?
5: I think there's... a uh... Cautious optimism. I mean, there's definitely a fear that this, that this is <clears throat> that this is going to be far worse than the, even uh, even we imagine. And um, there are there are place, people with several restaurants, wondering if they'll come back with only one. Uh, I mean, these 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 are these chefs, these restaurateurs, these these guys have been bucking the odds their entire careers. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain there's a certain resolve there that they think they can make it, but. No, on behalf of the entire industry, everybody's everybody's scared.
0: And uh, is there any indication that uh, some of those restaurants that have been forced to go to takeout or delivery, that uh, they may have found a, a, a uh, uh, their panacea, that that may be the way to continue as a restaurant, not to have a sit-down dining?
5: I think certainly in the near term, when we finally get on the other side of this whatever point that is and restaurants are permitted to reopen almost certainly they will only be permitted to open under very strict guidelines which I anticipate will be no more than 50% capacity for most for most restaurants that's a that's that's a tough proposition for a business model so I think the ones that have found an audience doing uh, doing carryout doing uh, some delivery are going to keep that option in there. It's it's not going to it's not sufficient unto itself, but I think it's going to be part of the formula uh, from here on out. Does
0: uh, I, I've heard from the restaurateurs that that you know I have known from experience for many years when, when you mentioned either twenty five percent capacity or fifty percent capacity, they they sort of clutch their heart. They can't they can't comprehend how they would survive with that type of uh, limitation.
5: Certainly not with their current business model. They this is the, the way they do food costs, the way they the, 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 the way they cover their expenses. They're all based on hundred percent capacity uh, and and being able to seat a lot of people. Uh, you see in the uh, in, you, you see in those very large restaurants, particularly the ones in the suburbs. Those are places that do the mediocre business Monday through Thursday, but then Friday, Saturday runs around and they can serve maybe 500 meals each day because they're so big and they can turn the tables over. With restrictions, that that formula is not going to work, not not right away. And so they're going to have to do something either in terms of controlling food costs and labor costs uh, and pricing, some magic formula of the three, and everybody's very nervous to see just how that'll play out.
0: Are they w- with the, with the tremendous food, uh, uh, the, the food chain they have, I mean, the the number of people, the ripple down effect of owning a restaurant, the number of people you got to deal with, is just, it's, it's, it's could be almost unlimited in some cases. Have, yes. have they detected from that industry uh, a willingness to sort of roll with the punches and work with them, or are they being pretty hard nose about it?
5: I think so far, everybody's, everybody's been pretty cooperative uh, they oh they they i think everybody understands that a hard-nosed approach isn't going to work that it's it's nobody's holding out on anybody in terms of mm-hmm. money if the money is not there then it kind of disrupts the whole idea i have product to sell you have customers to be well if the customers go away now i have excess product if i'm producing for distribution then maybe i start cutting back on what i produce it's you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't don't want to draw a straight analogy to the toilet paper that we've that right. we've been seeing, but it, the the manufacturing of of of, of, uh, of of toilet paper there is there's the home stuff, and then there's the stuff that goes into schools and offices, right. And and so on. And that that has completely disappeared. Nobody's ordering that kind of product, and that, as a, and there's a concomitant huge expansion in the the in the in the more in the, in the nicer domestic product and they can't keep up right now and Are eventually you, I think they will, but
0: again, of the people that, that you deal with, uh, how many of them have received some form of assistance from the governor, uh, from the government, either through PPP or a, a direct uh, loan?
5: Uh, a very, a very, I don't, I don't know about loans. They can because those they could work on their own uh, in terms of people who have been granted the PPE, very very few mostly because as set up the ppp doesn't make sense for restaurants unless they have a clear and and definite opening date because of when it, the
0: it seems to me that one of the biggest mistakes and i think uh, our previous guest dave johnson who runs a great uh, restaurant and an inn that's been open since ni- 1837 in ohio is that uh the there wasn't a lot of thinking that went into PPP because what I've understood is that going on unemployment is better than waiting for your PPP check.
5: Uh for the yeah for for a lot of the uh, for a lot of the workers, the uh, the the government was very generous in in boosting uh, unemployment benefits, and as a result, it's uh, eh, more or less fifteen dollars an hour not to not to work, which is going to make it hard to get people to give that up. The other thing is that when you take the PPE money, you have it, it, you have to hire back a certain so many of your people, no. most of your people. You have to keep them on salary. That's what that PPE is supposed to do. No. And then after eight weeks, either commit to keeping them forever, or and then you can have the loan forgiven or start paying off on the loan. Well, most restaurants here are saying, we don't know that we can get back in business in eight weeks. We don't no. know that we can do that. We need to the origination of the loan should start the day we open and then yeah. we have that much time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The, the eight weeks seems to be a very weak point in this government program. And maybe they, they've got to go back and they've got to change that because again, eight weeks doesn't make any sense to someone that's just taken a loan, especially when they're trying to rehire or, or look for new people. And, and the big, big question that we, that, you know, we're talking about the economics of opening the restaurant and running the restaurant, but n- not any one of those tours knows, are the people going to come back? Am I, am I going to get to 50% capacity uh, ever because the customers may not be filling my tables?
5: That, that's, that's, that's a big fear right now, uh, both from the standpoint of no matter when we decide to open the state or op- open the state on a li- limited basis, consumer confidence is, what, is what's going to tell us whether, we, whether we're doing it on time. Just because I can go to a, a movie theater tomorrow doesn't mean I'm going. It's mm-hmm. probably going to be a while before I want to sit in the dark with a whole bunch of strangers. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with restaurants. If the tables are spaced far enough, I'll have a little more confidence and maybe I will go in. Then there's the aesthetic. Is going to a restaurant in which my waiter is required by law to wear a mask and wear gloves, does that, does that, does that hurt the aesthetic to the point where I don't even see the point in going out anymore? Or will I roll with the punches and understand that this is what we have to do and and completely accept it? And that's a question nobody knows the answer to just yet.
0: And and I think that when you when you look at the the experience of, of, of dining out, certainly fine dining out, celebrations, birthdays, uh, you know, uh, celebrations of, of any sort, um, the the restaurant experience is it's such an important cultural aspect of not only who we are, but people around the world. I mean, that, that dining experience is it, it's, it's inside everybody. And I, I don't know how you, I don't know how we deal with that. If we can't have, you know, dinner with, with friends in a, in a, in a, a, a restaurant with good food and good service without Absolutely. it being, you know, so widespread that it looks, feels like you're in a cavern.
5: Yep. That's said that's, that's, that's exactly the issue. Um, how many people? What, 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 what? The audience will do what to do? But I think you're also right, and I think we've seen it in the success that some restaurants have had with their carryout option. That there still is in, in the customers, in the public's need, this desire for this kind of dining, and how, and then they're they're taking it however they can get it. And I'm hoping that when restaurants can open, there will be that same rush to say, yes, I want to support this. And it's not going to be exactly the same as we remembered it, but maybe, maybe in a couple of years it will be, or maybe in a year and a half it no. will be. And
0: because of the of the costs involved, because again there, there was a lot of publicity about some big uh, you know national uh, brands, including Ruth's Chris uh, and even you know Potbelly. I mean, getting getting huge uh, sums, at least perceived by the public as huge sums. Now uh, Ruth's Chris turned it back. But again, uh, can you speak, even though this is, isn't necessarily directly in your wheelhouse as a food critic, because uh, you don't spend a lot of time necessarily reviewing those types of restaurants, but uh, are, are they more likely to survive just because of their bigness and, and the sameness of their menus in many cases?
5: Yes, they'll, they'll be, the, the, the big chains will be much better positioned to survive, among their other, as you mentioned, they have economies of scale. Yeah. They and have we're talking about one, high, well,
0: you're also talking about high end chains, not just McDonald's right, and yeah. Burger but King. Even, yeah,
5: exactly. Even a big, even a big steakhouse with locations in 40 states. Yep, they have economies of scale. They have the they have the the dollar power, the buying power yep. to lock in pricing a year out.
0: Right. Yeah. So
5: that. My, my, my 40 my 40steak 40 right chain steakhouse I know now what I will be paying for steaks a year from now and that's a tremendous that's, advantage
0: That's a good to know well I know in Chicago one of my favorite places a uh, Flemings is uh, gone, uh, gone gone boarded up they're not coming back We'll come back and we'll talk more about restaurants One
10: 8289 give us a call. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit moveforwardpt.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association.
0: Bruce Dumont back. Nice to have you with us. We're talking with Phil Vittel, longtime restaurant critic for the Chicago Tribute. We're talking about the, uh, the difficulty of the, of the restaurant business. Phil uh, in, in, in a large city and Chicago is one of the best food cities uh, in the United States. Obviously you can go and, and find a wide variety of of food just uh, about anywhere, but Within certain sectors, uh, there obviously the restaurant business is very competitive. But have you heard any discussion of the possibility of uh, either merging or, or looking at ways in which uh, you know, certain restaurants would be open on certain days and they'd be closed on other days? Is there any, is there any sort of creative thinking that's going on about uh, what the new uh, normal might be in the restaurant world?
5: That's a really interesting question. I don't. I haven't heard of anything going that would involve more than one owner about, about that that mm-hmm. sort of arrangement. I did speak to Carrie Nahabedian, who has a Brondi restaurant on Clark Street, which is, to my mind, one of the best restaurants in Chicago. And when she, she's planning to come back as soon as she's able, and mm, getting things ready just in case, has uh, has her fingers crossed for June third. If we uh, if if there's uh, if there's some relief for restaurants. From the governor uh after the end of at the end of uh, uh, of may but she's saying yeah she's thinking of a very limited menu maybe a fixed price so everybody knows going in you're going to get three courses it's going to cost this much and maybe and she said we'll be open for four days and uh keep an eye on the numbers and maybe we have to go back and just be open for three days mm-hmm. and, and 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 do something like that uh it's I know speaking to uh, R.J. Melman, who's the uh, son of Richard Melman and and the uh, president of Let Us Entertain You, they he said he can't possibly open, reopen every restaurant on the first day anyhow. Right. It's there's so many so many moving parts to, to to corral. But yeah, if he has one restaurant that has four locations, maybe they open two locations, or maybe certain concepts will open right away, and others will have to wait.
0: As part of the equation uh, in, 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 in putting a restaurant, uh, you know, o- opening it up, uh, there's a lot of people that may not know much about how uh, the finances work insofar as uh, the waiters or the wait staff is concerned. Uh, mm-hmm. As I understand it, uh, they're paid uh, at, a, at a low wage wage. And, and where they make their living is they make their living on tips. So obviously they're in the gig economy, and right now they're getting no tips, and uh, they may be delivering for Uber or some of these other places, but uh, uh, that's the closest thing they have to serving food. Uh, is that likely to change? Could could we get into a situation where, uh, and even insofar as the food uh, makers, the, the people back in the kitchen, that they will have to end up making more money because, Because everybody knows the value of what they do now that maybe they didn't know eight months ago.
5: I agree. I think, I think among other things, it is going to be, it's going to take a little something to lure people back. Uh, Some people are just pawing the ground and they can't wait to get back in the kitchen and cook. And that's great. Others may take a little persuading. They're going to have unemployment benefits for a while. Eventually they'll run out. But I suspect that being in an election year, they might be extended a little bit this time around. Mm -hmm. Um, at that point, when if if someone's making fifteen dollars an hour anyway, will they come back and work for you for less than fifteen dollars an hour? I don't think so, uh, unless there are other things. And and if and if there's a perception by restaurant workers that their safety is somehow at risk by returning to work, then suddenly I don't know how much money you would need to mm-hmm. get them to work in in in, the, in back in the in the uh, in the kitchen, and. How many of them have changed, uh, Have how many of them are reconsidering their career choices at yeah. this point? Seeing well, again, this- I think,
0: I mean, it, it just, you know, what we're learning here is those that are on the the, the lower rung of the economic ladder who m- maybe we haven't really thought much about in the past. I'm talking about mm-hmm. grocery workers and stock boys and stock girls and, and uh, as well as those that that, that bust your table and, and serve you food. Uh, they they are part of an invisible society that isn't so invisible anymore. Even the person uh, you know who's cleaning bedpans at the hospital, um, you know they're risking their lives every day in trying to feed us and and take care of us during this horrible time. And I I, I would I would hope that the industries that 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 employ these people are going to uh, uh, maybe have to take a lesser profit, but. You know, bring them along to a, a more a reasonable wage.
5: This crisis has certainly put a spotlight on and taught us the value of the so-called lowly workers right. who are doing all the work right now. And nobody's sitting around going, oh, what's happening to our CEOs and oh, what's happening to our second baseman right. and all these things that are important to But suddenly... Somebody was making a joke about the airlines when they get started up that grocery personnel will be boarded first. That'll yeah, be an early well. consideration. You know, you work in a, you're a bagger. You think, come on, you go on first, you pick out your seat. It's and, got to,
0: it's got to be more than a blue, a blue angel flyover.
5: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, while you're, while you're in the kitchen and what was that noise? Oh, I don't know. You were, you were being saluted. It was, it it was, too, was too fast. Yeah, we may, yeah. We, we, our heart was in the right place. Maybe you didn't think uh. that out, that out completely. But yeah, uh, you know when we get when we come out of this, I think I don't think minimum wage is going to be nearly as uh, divisive an issue as it might have been mm-hmm. six months ago or twelve months ago. Oh, uh, um, access to health care, I think we're going to have a little. I think our minds may have adjusted a little bit our thinking mm-hmm. on 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 some of those issues. Um,
0: yeah, somebody some of these some of these. Some of these outrageous thoughts, at least described by some as outrageous thoughts that Bernie Sanders had, maybe some of them don't seem to be so outrageous after living through a, a COVID. But again, a key part of it is uh, the, the businesses of America. Uh, this is where the power is. Uh, the restaurant tour is, is one of the great dream jobs that people have. Sometimes it turns into a nightmare. But again, uh, it's it's a dream for many. And, again, uh, we wish those restaurateurs uh, success as they, as they have to reinvent every day and re- think every day about how they reinvent right. uh, the future of their lives. And, uh, Bill Vittel, thank you very much. You cover them on a regular basis. Uh, we'll pick up on this maybe in a few months to see if we're uh, uh, serving a lot more people, not only in Chicago but around the nation. Thanks very much for being with us tonight.
5: My pleasure. Thank our,
0: you. Our, our thanks to Andrew Marshall. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Evanston.
6: what is hope hope to me was just that he would get to come home i had no idea how hard it would be once
9: he got back i wish she'd stop drinking so much she thinks it's helping but it's not i hope she sees that soon
4: i act like
10: i don't care if he comes to my games but i hope he does i used to hope he'd find happiness again now i hope Our marriage makes
1: it. I hope Grandpa will get help. He thinks it's
4: too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. I just want my brother back.
9: I hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride.
11: Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours, that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling. We have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com.